Um, if you would, uh, we are going to open back to the book of James, continuing our study. So turn with me to James chapter 1. We'll be in verses 19 and 20 tonight. James 1, verses 19 and 20. And as we read God's word, let's give careful attention to it. Here's what James wrote in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen. Thus ends this inspired in an errant reading of God's word, may he write its truth in our hearts. Let us go to him in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would uh, bless this word tonight, Lord, as we study this text together and study this uh, difficult topic of anger, a thing that many of us struggle with, Lord. And so God, we ask that you would um, speak to us tonight through this preaching of your word, that you may convict us of sin, that you may free us from anger and free us from shame, Lord, so that we may rely on your son, Jesus, and on your gospel, the gospel that is contained in the scriptures. God, we are so thankful for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Probably every single one of us have uttered these words. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. <laughs> Everyone said it. it. You know, it can be so easy to lose our tempers. Uh, and so often we're tempted to justify our anger by claiming it's simple frustration, or we've been wronged in some way, or for whatever reason, my anger is justified. Um, I remember a time when I was in elementary school, and my best friend Jack was over at my house playing with me and my sister, and through some course of events while we were all playing together, Jack had done something to my sister, and I don't even know if I fully saw what had happened, but he upset her, and she ran away. And I distinctly remember looking at Jack and yelling at him, like just screaming at the top of my lungs, like, get out of here. Uh, and he, he obviously like kind of stepped back and was shocked that this even happened. He, I yelled at him again, he goes, eventually our parents get involved. And if I remember the situation correctly, it was totally an entire misunderstanding of elementary school kids playing together and someone said or did something that was completely misinterpreted and everyone in the room starts crying. <laughs> but at that moment, in my little elementary school heart, I felt so justified in my anger, but I was so quick to get angry. See, we justify our anger all the time. Uh, you, you may tell yourself that the way you spoke to your wife was fine because you were simply correcting her on something that she did wrong. Or you convince yourself that it was fine for you to scream at your child in the car because they need to know how disrespectful they've been. Or perhaps you've told yourself that the curses you mutter under your breath while scrolling through the headlines about politicians in the opposite party of yours is justified because you believe them to be making unwise or maybe even wicked decisions. See, and this isn't the only form of anger. Anger isn't just outbursts at another person, but some of us may show anger by harboring it and becoming bitter another dangerous form of anger. But today, James will teach us to look at anger from a different perspective, from a biblical perspective. And he will demonstrate that a righteous life is marked by the peace of Christ and not by anger. A righteous life is marked by the peace of Christ and not by anger. 
And so we're going to look at these verses one at a time. First, in verse 19, we'll see the warning against anger. And then second, in verse 20, we'll see the problem of anger. In verse 19, James gives his readers this warning against anger by commanding them the following. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, before we fully evaluate his warning, we must remind ourselves of, you know, just some information about the epistle of James. James was a brother of Jesus. He would have had firsthand knowledge of many of the things that Jesus said, and he was a leader in the early church in Acts. His letter has often been unnecessarily contrasted with the letters of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to address that more later on. But see, throughout this letter, James is providing his readers with wisdom. He's trying to give us wisdom to live our life. And James opens in verse 19 with an imperative or a command. He says, know this. But immediately he softens it using the direct address known as the vocative. And that's simply this phrase that says, my beloved brothers. So he's not saying to us tonight, come on, you need to know this, get it together. He's saying with concern in his voice, brothers and sisters, please know this. And so we know that the original recipients likely had relational issues with one another, and especially issues of controlling their tongues. This is something that James addresses throughout his letter. In James 3, verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And so clearly there are issues that James is going to address, and yet this representative leader of the early Christian church controls his own tongue and gives an imperative clothed with a sort of velvet cover. He gives this command, but so lovingly, know this, my beloved brothers. And so what are, we to, what are they to know? Well, they're to know that every person ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In a broader sense, every person must know how to use their, their ears, their tongues and their emotions all to the glory of God. And he presents us with a sort of literary beauty here. Uh, see, these aren't three separate commands that are given to Christians. Rather, they're three sort of interconnected characteristics, you may say, of a Christian that he, he presents in a very logical and purposeful order. And it all culminates in that key warning, the warning against anger. And so we'll look at each of these three very briefly together. First, James says that every person should be quick to hear. Uh, now, this seems to be perhaps the easiest of the actions which James requests. Uh, listening, you know, it's passive, you're receiving information. But let's frame it in a particular light. That time when your child brought home that disappointing test score... How easy was it to hear the words that your child said when they attempted to provide an explanation or an excuse for why it was that way? You remember how late they stayed up the night before that test, and it's hard to maybe listen to what they're saying. See, James doesn't say, be quick to hear, except in those instances where you already know what's going to be said, <laughs> or where you're already certain that the other person is wrong. No, he says, be quick to hear. See, when we fail to listen, we often jump to conclusions, and our conclusions, whether they end up being accurate or not, often lead us into anger. Just because you may have an accurate 
conclusion doesn't mean you shouldn't be quick to hear. Because ultimately, this anger leads us into sin. Then the second thing that he says is to be slow to speak. Again, it is, it is helpful to remember that James is speaking somewhat proverbially to a certain extent. You, you know, if you see a man stealing a woman's purse, you're not supposed to pause and think, hmm, what should I say in this situation? Like, no, you know right away what to say. Drop the purse or something along those lines. Uh, we, we don't always have to be slow to speak in that sort of sense. What, what James is describing is what naturally happens when we are slow to hear or when we skip the hearing portion altogether, jumping immediately over hearing to speaking. Uh, perhaps my paraphrase of James's message here could be something like, be slow to put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> None of us are ignorant of what happens to us during arguments, especially with those people that we love the most. Uh, we see this all too often in our family relationships, whether it's between husband and wives or children and parents, here, here's what happens. The argument has begun, and one or both of you stop hearing and just start talking over the other. You're no longer hearing anything that that other person is saying. You are just talking. And those are the moments often when our harshest words come out of our mouths, because we don't stop. We're, we're not giving our mouth a break. It just comes. And so here's where the logical chain that James presents to us continues. If we neglect to be quick to hear, that leads us to be quick to speak. And out of this waterfall of words, it leads us to forsake his third message, be slow to anger. See, in these situations when our mouths are running wild and our emotions are raging, words come out of our mouths that we wish we could pull back in. When we're quick to anger, our anger is most often corrupted by sin because we have not taken the opportunity to evaluate it or to sanctify it. Perhaps you have a relationship in your life that has been tarnished through your neglect of James's wisdom here. I don't know what you said. Maybe, maybe you looked at your mother and you still remember that day that you screamed, I hate you, realizing immediately or perhaps later what you had said. Or maybe you looked at your spouse and uttered, why did I even decide to marry you? See, James cautions us because we can't get these words back. We must be slow. Uh, listen to these bold words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 12. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. I believe that the speed to which we give into the sin of anger ought to be a frightening and clear indicator of the condition of our heart and the maturity of our spirit. Uh, see, try as you might to follow James's wisdom and James's commands here, you've already failed and you know that. You've already broken the sixth commandment by giving into sinful anger. And our hope is found in how James addresses his listeners. And if you are a legitimate believer in Christ Jesus, how he addresses you today, beloved brothers and sisters. Listen to Psalm 145, verses eight and nine. The psalmist wrote, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. 
The Lord is slow to be angry with you for your violations of James's commands here. In fact, if you are indeed a beloved brother or sister in the body of Christ, the anger and the wrath of God that were due to you have already been placed on your substitute, Jesus Christ. And we thank the Lord for that because Jesus Christ died for every harsh and quick word that you've ever uttered, for every time you've ever failed to listen to those presenting their case, and for every time you've ever rushed to false conclusions. And because of your right standing before God, brothers and sisters, we must be slow to anger. And we must be quick to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit, to be quick to be filled with peace. You know, in, in recent days, many areas of Mississippi have been under a burn ban. And thankfully, we've been starting to get some rain back after this drought. But during those bans, we aren't supposed to have campfires because the fire can so easily spread. And you may think it's just a small campfire, but no, they put that ban there because of how dangerous the conditions are. And see, anger is like a fuel that you pour onto an already raging fire. And it begins to consume everything around it before you even know what happened. But the peace of Christ, which Christ has enabled you to, to display as a result of your salvation and your sanctification, this peace of Christ functions as a sort of fire extinguisher that can put out the hottest coals and suffocate the largest flames. So many of us struggle with anger. And if that's you tonight, please hear James's warning and hear the Lord Jesus's solution. Do not be quick to become angry, but be quick to pursue the peace of Christ through careful listening, through, through thoughtful response. Be quick to pursue the peace of Christ simply by repenting and by believing in this Lord Christ, because a righteous life is marked by the peace of Christ and not by anger. And so let's move our attention now to verse 20, where James will share with us the problem of anger. Let, let's look at what he says. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now let's look at this verse from the back to the front, trying to grasp first what James means by the phrase, the righteousness of God. Uh, see, I mentioned earlier that readers throughout history have attempted to pin James and Paul against each other, and some have tried to change their ideas entirely. Uh, but both of these biblical authors do, in fact, use the phrase, the righteousness of God. However, it would be a mistake to just assume that they're automatically talking about the same exact thing in every instance. Uh, often when Paul uses the phrase, the righteousness of God, he is speaking about our right standing before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But when James uses that phrase here, he's referring to, referring to another typical meaning of the phrase, doing what God requires of his people. Uh, see, James is communicating a simple truth. Our anger does not produce actions that are pleasing to God. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, well, why is that? Why does not anger do that? And so let's move to the first part of verse 20, the anger of man. See, this is an important point to hold on to. James is not saying that all forms of anger are automatically displeasing to God. Uh, scripture speaks of anger like this, for example, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul wrote, be angry and do not sin. And so what exactly is James saying here? Well, James is saying that in general, human anger by its very nature is usually displeasing to God because it does not typically lead us to righteousness 
but it typically leads us to sin. Human anger by nature is usually displeasing to God because it leads us not to righteousness, but to sin. You know, I can't claim to be a good cook. Uh, Most people in here have not had the unhappy or the unpleasurable experience of uh, eating some of my cooking, but my idea of a good lunch really is a plate of tortilla chips, some melted cheese, and just whatever leftovers happen to be in the fridge just kind of plopped on top. That's a lunch for me when I'm at home. And I think one of the reasons I'm not considered to be what some may call a culinary artist um, is because I simply don't always understand what the purpose behind each ingredient is. Tori, thankfully, has helped me with some of this, so I'm going to pass along some wisdom tonight. Uh, See, if you were to make a soup and you wanted to enhance the flavor in a positive direction, you may add some salt to your soup so that you can better taste the natural flavors, or at least so I'm told. I've not done it. Uh, But... Let's say that you tasted the soup, noticed it needs some enhancing, but rather than pour some salt in, you decide, I'm going to pour in two cups of water, and I bet that'll make everything taste much brighter, much bolder. Well, you try another spoonful, and you'd go like, it it just tastes all diluted now. Uh, See, water in general, when it acts as it naturally does, typically dilutes that which it is put into. That's what water does. Salt, on the other hand, when it's used properly, typically enhances the flavor of a meal. Our anger, because it is so closely tied to our sinful nature, most naturally and typically leads us to unrighteousness and to sin. That's most naturally what it does. Acts of peace, on the other hand, most naturally and typically lead us to righteousness and to obedience. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, that, you know, that seems to make pretty clear sense, not too hard of a point. But I have to ask us, how often do you think that your anger is the best thing for the scenario that you're in? Your anger is just what's needed in that moment. Again, I'm not just talking about those outbursts of anger, but that anger even when you're bitter and you hold it in and you think somehow that is going to contribute in a positive way for the situation that you're in. See, when I look around the world, I see a lot of things that ought to produce righteous anger in Christians. The atrocities of abortion, the epidemic of hunger, the persecution of Christians in closed countries, Even Jesus himself in his ministry looked at false teachers like the Pharisees in anger. But we play a dangerous game when we begin to think that our anger is automatically justified and that our anger is automatically pleasing to the Lord. See, even with the smallest of sins that are directed towards us, we can tend to think of ourselves like Old Testament prophets, righteously angry, needing to tell people exactly what we think because we know the truth. But there are some major differences that maybe we all kind of need reminded of sometimes, a good dose of humility, some differences between us and these Old Testament prophets. I mean, these prophets, for first, were speaking the exact words that God told them to speak. God spoke to them directly. Also, when they spoke harshly in, in their prophecies, they were almost exclusively defending others. But so often, we are almost exclusively defending ourselves. And third, these prophets were nearly always concerned with producing godly repentance in their listeners. And that was their chief aim, producing repentance. And so it's immature on our parts to assume that our anger 
that the anger we may have is on par with the anger of some of these Old Testament prophets that they may have shown in some of their prophecies. See, we use anger to protect ourselves and often to focus on our ungodly, ungodly desires. Listen to this convicting paragraph from J.C. Ryle uh, when he was writing in, his co- in a commentary he wrote discussing the topic of anger. This is um, a very thoughtful paragraph that he wrote. He said, Of all the feelings that man's heart experiences, there is none perhaps which so soon runs into sin as the feeling of anger. There is none which once excited seems less under control. There is none which leads us, which leads on to so much evil. We may rest assured that there is no human feeling which needs so much cautious guarding as this. A sinless sinless wrath is a very rare thing. The wrath of a man is seldom for the glory of God. In every case, a righteous indignation should be mingled with grief and sorrow for those who cause it, even as it was in the case of our Lord. And this, at all events, we may be sure of. It is better to never be angry than to be angry and sin. See, if the goal is to produce the righteousness of God, as James seems to claim here, then anger is not the instrument that we should be aiming to use. Uh, You've likely heard the advice that says you can't just stop one bad habit, you need to start a good habit in its place. And the advice holds true here, I believe. We can't just say, don't be angry. Well, we have to do something else in its place. And so remember, James says that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we ask ourselves, well, what does produce the righteousness of God? And James tells us that later on in uh, James chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to what he says. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, the problem with anger is that it doesn't naturally produce the righteousness of God. It is the peace of Christ that produces the righteousness of God. And yes, as we've said again and again, there are times for righteous anger. Uh, But just because someone has sinned against you doesn't mean your anger is righteous, doesn't mean you need to speak, doesn't mean you need to react. That may oftentimes just mean that you're using your anger as a sort of self-defense mechanism. Just because someone has made a mistake or even a life-altering mistake doesn't mean your anger is righteous. And yes, perhaps you do have a sort of righteous anger regarding the evils of the world. And I hope that you do as believers. But then the question we have to ask is this. What did Jesus do when he encountered the evils of the world? See, was he consumed with anger and wrath? Did he merely say some harsh words and go away? No, at times he did speak harsh and correcting words when they were appropriate and when he needed to. But ultimately, Jesus decided to truly deal with the evils of the world. Listen to Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul wrote, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is our primary example of one who prioritized peace over anger. See, God is the only one whose wrath is always righteous and always just. And Jesus, as he went to the cross, had every right to be angry with those attacking him. He had every right to be angry at the disciples who abandoned him, to be angry at those who were hurling insults at him or who put the nails in his hands and in his feet. And yet Jesus remained quiet before his accusers. 
and humbly went to the cross, making peace for us. And so brothers and sisters, the only way for you to pursue the right living that James speaks about, and the only way for you to have this right standing before God that Paul preaches about is by faith in Jesus Christ. See, I have no doubt that many of you today have struggled with anger recently, perhaps at your spouse or your boss, maybe just the price of groceries or that person in front of you who just simply can't drive in a straight line or at least not fast enough. See, as we allow our anger to go unchecked, it will only allow Satan to have a foothold in your life. And so to combat this anger, I want to give you three practical steps to begin with as you try to put away your anger and to put on the peace of Christ. The first, acknowledge that you are angry and what you're angry about. Because we can't begin to solve these issues if we don't really see what the problem is. Acknowledge what you may be angry about. But then second, ask for the Lord to help you forgive those who may have wronged you. But especially, ask the Lord to forgive you for making your delight in whatever has made you angry rather than Christ. So often when we're angry, it's because we have our full delight, our, our hopes set on something else other than Christ. And it frustrates us when it doesn't go our way. So ask the Lord to heal you from that and to forgive you. And finally, practice self-control. See, the actions that James requires of us tonight cannot be done passively. You must actively make yourself hear others. You must actively keep yourself silent. You must actively turn away from sin and pursue peace. You can't just try to be a less angry person. You have to actively pursue the peace of Christ. In verse 19, James warned us against anger. And in verse 20, he explained the problem of anger. And so friends, ask yourself tonight, is your life marked by the peace of Christ or by anger? Anger doesn't look the same in each one of us. Some of us may have terrible outbursts at home and you're unsure what the next step to do about that is. And some of you may be harboring bitterness inside you that makes, us, makes you feel as though you could pop at any moment. But perhaps you are wondering, what does it actually look like to have your life marked by the peace of Christ? Because really, it seems pretty easy to see what a life looks like that's marked by anger. We seem to be able to tell what that is, but a life that is marked by the peace of Christ diligently pursues reconciliation. It listens to others. It doesn't need to be the first to speak. It ultimately relies on the grace of Christ. Kevin DeYoung, there was an article circulating uh, this week that he wrote back in 2019 called Distinguishing Marks of a Quarrelsome Person. And if you're looking for some more conviction on this topic, I would encourage you to give that a quick Google search and allow it to convict you as well and to show you really what the differences are between what it looks like to be marked by one and marked by the others. See, brothers and sisters, to be free from your anger, you must be freed from your sin. And you must hear the peaceful message of Christ proclaimed by the gospel. You must believe in Christ as Savior. So if you cry out to him today, he is faithful to hear you. He has always been faithful to hear you. And he has always been faithful to save whoever cries out to him. And so having the peace of Christ will produce right living and obedience in your life and your actions. But even more than that, having the peace of Christ will secure your salvation and your eternity. You are in peace with God the Father, not from your own actions, but from the blood of Christ Jesus on the cross. See, Christ's goal for your life is not merely 
that you may turn away from anger. That, that's not his only goal, isn't just to stop you from saying those angry things. But his, he aims for you to turn towards him and to be saved from your unrighteousness. See, our, we serve a father who's not looking down at us with anger in his voice, anger in his eyes at each moment. He is looking down at his beloved children who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So church, your adversary, the devil, he's on the move and he prowls around like a lion hoping to use your anger to both harm you and to deceive you. Hoping to put, help you put on the blinders of rage so that you may fall into deeper and deeper sin. But your savior, Christ Jesus, he does not prowl like a lion towards you. He walks towards you like a servant and a friend and he hopes to rid you of your sinful anger and to remove those blinders from your eyes so that you may see him and so that you may pursue holiness for his glory and for his sake and for the peace that may be in your life. Because a righteous life is marked by the peace of Christ and not by anger. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us peace by the blood of the cross, Lord, that you has sent, have sent your son Jesus to die for our sins and that the grave could not hold him, Lord, but he rose again from the grave, and that he's now seated at your right hand. And so God, we do confess that we deal with anger in so many severe ways. God, we confess that we do not know your goodness so often, that we do not know your truth. And so God, would you help us to repent to believe your gospel, Lord? Would you help us to be free from this anger? God, we thank you for not giving us your wrath, but for giving us your love by your son, Jesus. And so God, I pray for these dear saints today that you may continue to sanctify them, that you may give them your spirit, that you may show them your love, even as we sing to you tonight. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.